over the last few weeks, we've been in this series that we've been calling The Simple Life, Relationship for Dummies, and we're calling it that because in the series we're learning as Christians, God has basically called us to treat one another, the people that he's placed in our lives the way he has treated us. And when we do that, it makes life simple. It just makes life less complicated. All I have to do is love you, forgive you, serve you, and accept you the way God has loved, served, accepted, and forgiven me, right? Pretty simple. Didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. And if you were here last weekend, we talked about the importance of accepting people in our lives as God has accepted us. Uh, and when we talked about how God accepted us, we, he accepted us unconditionally. He accepted us with all of our mess. He accepted us with all of our issues. He accepted us before we changed and got our act together. And God says, now I want you to go out there and accept people in your life that way. And for some of you, that just really messed with your mind. Like, man, I don't even know what that means. And accepting people, that seems, that seems kind of wishy-washy. Well, you remember our, our, our mission statement here at Hope is this. Love people where they are. And we made this, you can't love people where they are until you first accept them where you are. You'll never influence someone who doesn't feel accepted by you. So we want to love people where they are. We have to accept them. But the next word is encourage. We want to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the encouragement part this weekend, and I think we're going to balance all of this out. But let me just say this. What we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, it's going to push back. It's going to conflict with everything in us because of a couple of rules that we just naturally live by when it comes to our relationships. Here's the first rule. It's none of my business. Do you ever say that in your relationship? You know what? That's none of my business. Hey, I saw Larry staggering out of the bar at 1 in the morning, and he got in his car to drive home. I probably should have stopped him and said something, but you know what? That's none of my business. Or I saw Sally at the movie. It was really weird. She was with a guy. It's not her husband. And I thought, I ought to call her and have lunch and say something, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's none of my business. It's just a rule we live by. It's none of my business. I got my own issues. It's none of my business. Here's another rule. Talk about people but don't talk to them. In other words, when we see people getting ready to make a bad decision, we tend to talk about them, but we don't talk to them. Now, sure, we tell our wife, and she puts it on Facebook, and everybody's talking about it and talking about the person, but no one's actually talking to the person. Now, if you're a Christian, we don't call that gossip. We fix that. It's called sharing a prayer request, right? So you, you, you go to small group, and it's like, man... <laughs> We really need to pray for Fred. I mean, I, I, you know, I saw him stumbling out of the liquor store the other day. And somebody in the small group, well, why don't you say something to him? Well, that's none of my business. I'm just sharing it with you so you can pray intelligently. See, we, we do that all the time as Christians. We know how to clean things up. But if you're honest, there are probably some people in your life right now that are getting ready to make some really bad decisions. And if you're being honest, you're not about to approach them because, first of all, you've convinced yourself it's none of your business and the reality is, we would rather talk about them than to actually talk to them. So this weekend, as we talk about encouraging one another, how do we help people move into that deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, we're going to talk, by the way, encourage doesn't mean what you think it means. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as we talk about encouraging one another, we basically are going to have to make a decision. We're going to have to decide, do I want to live my life by the relational rules that I want to live my life by, which might include things like, it's none of my business, talk about people, don't talk to them. Or as Christians, are we going to begin to live our lives and our relationships by the rules that God wants us to live by? Let me tell you why this is so important. It's because this is one thing all of us have in common here this weekend. Every one of us sitting here has made a decision or multiple decisions we wish we'd have never made. 
We just have that in common. It may be the only thing we have in common, but all of us have made decisions that we've regretted. For some of you, there are relationships you wish you would have never gotten into. For some of you, there are, there are financial decisions you wish you would have never involved yourself in. And if, when you were getting ready to make that decision, looking back now, if someone would have come alongside you and pulled you aside, and, and, and if they would have said something to you along, along this line, I know that maybe this is none of my business, but I'm noticing what's going on here, and I can't just stand by and say nothing. I have to get involved. I have to do something. I have to talk to you. If somebody would have done that, you know what? Your life might be completely different today. And so what we're going to discover is that our Heavenly Father, because he loves us, he says to us, as Christians, you don't have an option. You have to get involved in one another's lives. It's not enough just to accept people where they are. You've got to get involved so that their life is transformed into what Jesus Christ died to make possible in their own life. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, you know, one of the cool things about smartphones is you can find Hebrews, right? If you have a Bible, you may never be able to find it. Hebrews chapter 3, if you don't have a phone or a Bible, you can uh, check the verses out. We'll put them on the side screen. But this is a book that was written to Jewish Christians. And these were Christians who were raised in Judaism, but, you know, when Jesus was on this earth, they were exposed to his teaching. They saw him nailed to a cross. Three days later, they saw him walking around the streets of Jerusalem after he died because he had come back to life. Acts chapter 2 tells us that 3,000 people became Christians and joined the church that day, started the first church of Jesus Christ. And it's because, as I've said before, if a dead man can come back to life, I want to be on his team, right? So these are people who were raised in Judaism, but now they've converted to Christianity. And uh, the writer writes them this book, and he he says something in this book that reminds us that God doesn't see us as just a bunch of individual believers. He sees us as a body. He sees us as a group. We are connected and we cannot disconnect. He sees us as accountable to one another. This is what we're going to talk about. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, the writer says this, see to it brothers and sisters. So right away we can see he's talking to a group, brothers, sisters. See to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So right away, the writer tells us this. He says, when it comes to the Christian life, it isn't just about you and God monitoring yourself. Basically, this is what he's going to say, and I'll go ahead and tell you in case you, you doze off or you have to leave early to beat the traffic. This is what he's going to say. Your spiritual business is somebody else's spiritual business. And other people's spiritual business is your spiritual business. And you haven't been called to mind your own spiritual business. You have been called as Christians, as a group, to mind one another's spiritual business. The writer says, I don't want you to fall into this trap of slowly drifting away from God. Now, let me just say this. All of us as Christians have the potential to drift away from God. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how well you know the Bible. It doesn't matter how many years you've gone to church. Every one of us sitting here this week at any of our campus, we have the potential to drift away from God. And so the writer says this, the responsibility to keep one another, that would be us, we're the one another, the responsibility to keep one another from drifting, he says, understand, that is a group thing. And it's not about me and my relationship with God. It's not about you and your relationship with God. It's about our relationship with each other as well as our relationship with God. So the writer says, be on the lookout for those who are beginning to have a sinful, unbelieving heart. 
that has the potential to turn them away from God. By the way, uh, did you know that there's a sequence to drifting away from God? And the writer kind of gives it to us here. He says, first of all, there's sin. We get involved in sin. And then second, he says, there's unbelief. In other words, you don't just wake up one day and decide that you don't believe anymore. You know what happens? We stop behaving the way God wants us to behave before we stop believing. We stop behaving, and then we stop believing. So the writer, as he's writing to this young church, he says, keep an eye out for those who are starting to drift in their behavior. Keep an eye out for those who are starting to drift in their lifestyle. Keep an eye out for those who are starting to drift in the things of God, because understand, what starts out as behavior eventually will end up impacting your belief system. And I've seen this so many times over 30 plus years of ministry, and what astounds me is this. When people begin to slip, when they get a little sloppy in their Christian walk, when they begin to drift away from God, they always think that their experience is unique. They don't see it as a pattern. They don't see it as a trend. They see, they see it as their unique thing. I've heard people say, you know, Mike, I was raised in the church, and I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and I was committed. Mike, I'm telling you, I was all in, but then I met this girl. Mike, she's not a Christian. And I know what the Bible says about, you know, only marrying Christians. Don't be unequally yoked together. I understand it's common sense. God says, how in the world can you walk in the same direction together and unified if you have different morals, different values, you see life differently? He, it's, it's not because people are, you know, they're, they're bad. It's like, you, it's just a practical reason. You won't have a great relationship with people who don't see life the way you see life. I know that's what the Bible teaches. But Mike, you got to understand, this is true love. This is unique. I mean, nobody's ever been in love the way we're in love. No one has ever felt about each other the way we feel about each other. This is unique. I've heard people tell me, you know what, Mike, I was raised in the church, became a Christian, committed all in, but then I got drawn into this lifestyle. And I know that the Bible says it's wrong, but nobody really understands. I mean, this is very, very unique. And now that I'm in this lifestyle, to be honest with you, the whole God thing just kind of gets in the way. And I don't know if I really believe anymore. And I don't enjoy church anymore. And I just think Christians are hypocrites. See, it always goes there eventually, right? Or, you know, a college kid goes off to college, and at home he's got structure. He goes to church. He's plugged in. He's connected with other believers. Maybe he's in a small group. But now he goes away to college, but he doesn't find a church. He doesn't get plugged into any campus ministries. And before you know it, he's doing life alone. He's isolated. You know, he's not connected to anyone and then, you know, there's some things that he gets to do away from home that he didn't get to do, at, 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 you know, at home. Maybe like, you know, there's some stuff you can smoke and then there's things you can drink. You don't have to be 21. Somebody will bring it to the party. And all of a sudden, there's all these opportunities that have opened up to you. And then you show up in a class where you get the nutty professor who says, there is no God. The Bible isn't true. And before you know it, the kid comes home from college and says, yeah, just wait, so you know, mom and dad, I don't believe anymore. It's just not for me. And it just sounds so intelligent to say that for a college kid. I'm telling you, this isn't unique. This is the path that people always go down when they choose to behave the way they want to behave instead of the way that God intended for us as Christians to behave. My point is this. People start behaving wrong before they start believing wrong. Let's just say that out loud together. Ready? People start behaving wrong before they start believing wrong. Let's say that one more time with, with gusto, ready? People start behaving wrong before they start believing wrong. 
And if that describes you this weekend, I just want you to understand you're not unique. In fact, this is what the Bible refers to. We'll see the the term in a minute. But this is what the Bible refers to as the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin makes you think, I'll just do this. I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it. I'll just do it. I can handle the consequences. I'm just going to do this. I can control the outcome. And so you begin going down that path, and before long you're like, I'm not sure I believe the God stuff anymore. I'm not sure the Bible is true. I'm not sure that church is really relevant for me. And I'm just telling you, everybody listening right now, regardless of what campus you're at, me included, every one of us has the potential to go down this path. So the writer of Hebrews says this. When this begins to happen in a Christian's life, hey, this is not a prayer request. This is not when you just get together and pray. This is time to take action and see to it that the people around you don't fall into this sequence of behavior. And notice what the solution is in verse 13. But encourage one another daily. Don't just sit back and watch it happen. Don't act like this is none of my business. Don't be okay with just talking about them but not talking to them. Verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that, now he gives us the purpose, so that none of you may be hardened, here's our term, by sin's deceitfulness. So the writer is basically saying this as he's writing to the church, and I think he's saying it indirectly to us here at Hope this weekend. There are people around you right now that are in this process. There are people that are moving down this road. And slowly, maybe without even realizing it, they're being deceived by sin's deceitfulness. They think it's a unique thing. It's not a unique thing. They're just a people, right? And it's a people thing, you know, and and so they're being deceived. This is just the way sin works. And so the writer says this, when you as an outsider, okay, you're looking around, you're watching someone else's life, and you begin to see this. They're beginning to slip. They're beginning to get a little sloppy in their Christian walk. They're starting to drift. He says, when you see that, encourage. See, here's our word. Encourage one another. But as I said earlier, encourage doesn't mean what you think it means. So we think encourage means, way to go. Good job. You're so good. You know, that's what we think encouragement means. Let me give you four words to think about when you think about encouraging one another. It means to appeal. It means to beg. It means to urge. And it means to exhort. It means to appeal. Hey, whoa, wait a second, time out. What are you doing? It means to beg. You know better than that. Don't do that. It means to urge. Well, why don't you get back to the things that you know are right? And it means to exhort. You are messing up. You're going to screw up your life. That's what the word encourage means in the Greek. So the writer of Hebrews says this. When you see people around you and they're starting down this trail, they're starting down this path, encourage one another. In other words, he says to us as Christians, you've got to engage in the lives of the people around you. Don't just pray something, say something. Don't just sit back and talk about them, talk to them. And I already know what your objections are because they're also my objections. Because right now, see, this is how it works when the Spirit of God's working in our lives. When we have a topic like this, right now you're, you're starting to think of some people in your life, maybe a particular person, and, and you know, they, they claim to be a Christian, and they used to live like it, but not so much anymore. 
And they used to talk like it, but not anymore. I mean, maybe they got a beach house and they just don't have time. And they, they started to drift. Or they got a boat and now it's conflicting with what they do on the weekends. And they're just kind of disconnecting and, and they're drifting. Maybe they met a guy. Maybe they met a girl with a different morals and different values. And they're just kind of drifting. But you see it going on. And now that they've come to your mind, God has placed them in your mind. This is what you're thinking. Wow. Now I realize what's going on. Somebody needs to talk to them. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray that God's going to bring somebody into their life to do that. And if I were to talk to you and say, well, what about you? Why don't you do that? You would basically have three excuses. Here's the first one. It would just be so awkward. You don't understand the dynamics of our relationship, Mike. It would just be so awkward. So let me take the pressure off. It is always awkward. There is never an unawkward way to beg and urge and exhort and appeal. It's always going to be awkward. Here's another response. But it's really none of my business. And this is where, as a Christian, you're wrong. It is your business. If you're going to talk about them, you have to talk to them. If you're going to pray for them, you ought to have the courtesy to pray with them. Because what God is saying here is, it is your business. You guys are connected. You are a body. Their business is your business. And if they don't see it that way, they're wrong. If they don't see it that way, that's your problem. But you just can't sit back and watch and do nothing while somebody around you slowly self-destructs. you got to encourage them. But you'd also have a third excuse, and I get this one, and I, and I understand this one. I'd feel like a hypocrite because I have my own stuff to deal with. I have my own issues to deal with. And you might even quote the Bible. You say, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Don't worry about the speck in someone's eye when you got the log in your own eye. Well, Jesus' point was, get the log out of your eye. Deal with your own issues, right? But we're always going to have issues because I don't care if we're Christians or not. We're always going to be attached to this body. We're always going to have issues. We're always going to have our own stuff to deal with. So therefore, I'm not qualified to help other people. Well, let's just assume for a second that's a valid argument. And let's assume that the only people that can help other people, the only people that can get involved in, in the lives of other Christians are people uh, who are perfect and they've never doubted in their faith. They've never drifted from God. They're holy. They're righteous. They have never sinned. They've got their act together. So let's just assume the only person who can confront someone and say, you're slipping, you're drifting, is someone who has totally got it all together. Well, if that's the case, I mean, when you think about it, the only solution is we got to identify the people in that category. They've never drifted from God. They've never questioned their faith. They're holy, they're righteous, they've never sinned. We've, and maybe we got to put them together, and we'll even give them a special name around hope. We'll call them the encouragement posse right? And what they're going to do for us, they're going to get out there and they're going to deal with all the people who are screwing up. We'll just call them the encouragement posse. Now, if that's the case, then we need to, we need to get this thing going. I mean, we've been dragging, we're 20 years behind the eight ball. So I'm just going to ask you, it seems like a good time to do it. If you're here this weekend, you've, you've never doubted in your faith, you've never drifted from God, you're perfect, you're righteous, and you have never sinned. If you could just stand up, because we need to identify you, kind of get you together afterwards, see who's there. So right now, could you just stand up, if that describes you, never sin, any holy, righteous, Go ahead. Don't be. There's not one person here that's never sinned. What kind of church am I pastoring, Steve Ellis? <laughs> a bunch of losers we got around here. You know what that means? It means it's up to the rest of us, doesn't it? 
I mean, the reality is this. None of us on our own merit has the right to tell anybody else what to do. That's why it's not my idea. It's God's idea. And God basically says this. I am appointing all imperfect Christians as the encouragement posse. And when you see a person beginning to drift, it is your responsibility not to simply say something to them, say something, uh, pray something for them. It's your responsibility to say something to them. Now, let me, let me help you understand how important this is. When you do that, you may save a marriage. You may save a life. You may save a family. You may save a business. You may save them financially. So God says, I am sending you in, not because you're perfect, but because you're connected, because you are a part of the body. Right before Christmas, uh, both of my boys, their birthdays are in November. So I decided to take them and, and my daughter-in-laws and a couple of my nephews and nieces uh, out to dinner uh, on a Sunday night. And so we got dressed up. And we went to a, a restaurant, a very nice restaurant. You all know what it is. And, um, and uh, of course, we're waiting because the kids are always late. And so I'm waiting for them to get there and so they can see this. And uh, about five years ago, we moved out of our old neighborhood into the neighborhood we're in now. And a guy walks in, and it's one of my old neighbors. Haven't seen him in five years. And he's dressed up. Man, I've never seen him looking so good. And he's a Christian guy. He's very involved in his church. And, but he has with him this, you know, he's my age. He has with him this, this like, this blonde bombshell, you know, like 25, 28 years old. Uh, she's got things showing you probably shouldn't show out in public. I mean, it's up here and down here. And, and uh, she is just, you know. And uh, to be honest with you, because I'm a little bit of a naive kind of person, I didn't really think anything of it. I, I'd never met his adult children. I thought it's probably his daughter. Maybe it's her birthday. They're going out to, to dinner or something. I didn't really think anything about it. Gave him a big hug, went and sat down. They were set about three tables from me. Well, we ordered, and after ordering, I excused myself, and I went to the restroom. And about three seconds after the door shut in the restroom, he came into the restroom, and he says, I know this seems weird. I'm, I'm like, yeah, you're, 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 you're cornering me in a men's restroom. That's... <laughs> so, yeah, let's go with that. Agreed. Weird. No, he says, no. He says, me coming in with this young lady, I know you must have all kinds of questions. Well, I, I didn't up to that point, but now the flag's going ding, 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 you know? And he says, I want you to know this is a business dinner. I'm like, all right. I never had a business dinner with somebody like that, you know, but all right, Sunday night, close to Christmas, but hey, you know, I just want you to know, okay, you know. Well, now I go sit down and there are three tables from me. I can't stop staring. You know, a couple bottles of wine, a lot of fun conversation. I'm like, doesn't look like any business dinner, you know, I've ever had. And uh, it was just kind of weird, but I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. But I felt like, man, I should have said something. Now, understand, that's the first time I'd seen this guy in five years. It's like three days later. I'm at Home Depot because it's around Christmas, and I go every day to see if any new Christmas deer have come in from my yard. It's just what I do. It's what I do. And uh, I, as I'm rounding a corner, guess who rounds the corner and walks right in? The same guy I hadn't seen in five years. Now I've seen him twice in three days. And I'm like... He said, did you enjoy your dinner the other night? Yeah, we had a little small talk. I said, I got to tell you, that whole thing was weird. And I asked him about his wife. I said, are you guys okay? Oh, yeah, we're fine. 
We're, yeah. I said, well, I'm just going to tell you that that sent up some red flags. And I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying the way you came and approached me. And, and I said, I'd be honest, I kind of observed your dinner dinner. It didn't really look like a business dinner. I mean, is there, is there something I can do to help? He said, oh, no, I'm doing good. But you could just tell, like, he could not get away, away from me fast enough. And finally I said, hey, give me your phone number. And he's like, you know. <laughs> I, he probably thought he, I was going to ask for his wife's phone number next. But, um, and I just, I called him. And I said, now you have my phone number, just save it. And I said, man, if there is anything I can ever do, uh, if you want to talk, just give me a call. He said, well, Mike, that's, that's very judgmental. No. That's what I'm supposed to do because, you see, him and I are connected. We're Christians. We're in the same body. We have a relationship whether we go to the same church or not. And I don't know what happened. He's never called me back. I don't know if it did any good or not. That's not my responsibility. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you see somebody starting down that path, you have to go to them. His business is my business. My business is his business. We are not Lone Ranger Christians. We, we are connected. We're the body. And that leads me to two questions. Here's the first one. Who in your life do you know has started down that path? You can see it. They're just starting to drift. Maybe you've talked about them, but you haven't talked to them. Maybe you've prayed for them, but you haven't prayed with them. You certainly haven't urged or begged or exhorted or appealed, right? And I know what some of you are thinking because you, you can see that person in your head. <laughs> there is no way. But who comes to mind? Okay, you got, you got their picture right there, right? Do you realize that their future may hinge on whether or not you choose to approach them and confront them? And I don't mean confront, hey, you lousy sinner. I don't mean that, you know. I mean confront them like, this is awkward, uncomfortable. I feel as weird about this as you do. And I'm not judging. I want you to know I'm not better than you. I'm not more spiritual. I have my own issues and my own struggles. But I, I just kind of see something. I have to say something. You see, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of that decision. Because this is what you don't know. You have no idea what God is doing on the inside of them. You have no idea if they pray, God, this doesn't feel right, and I'm probably outside of your will, but you know, just, it kind of feels right for me, and it, it seems so wrong, right. I don't know if it's wrong. And, but God, if this isn't, man, send somebody. So you don't know what's going on. You don't know how many other people are praying. God, send somebody. You don't know. You may be the somebody. You may be the person by talking to them that keeps them from going over the edge. You may be the one that causes them to say, you know what, Mike? You're the third person who's talked to me about this. I get it. Thank you. You don't know. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You may be God's voice in their life at a critical time. That's why nearly every New Testament writer, John, Luke, Peter, Paul, that's, that's why they, they all said You've got to bear one another's burdens. This is a group thing. 
And it means when it says bear, it means you got to get up under the load and help them carry it. Basically, when you approach them, here's the key question. How can I help? I see what's going on. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to ask you, how can I help? You've got to charge in, and you've got to mind some other people's business. So who in your life has started on that path? Here's the second question. Who in your life feels empowered to rush into your life when they see you beginning to drift? Do you have any relationships like that? By the way, that's one of the reasons that we are so passionate about small groups around here. Because that means that there's at least one small group of people who feel empowered to get involved in your life. Watch this short video. My name is Woody, and this is my small group story. I joined, rejoined the small group that I had been a part of, but really engulfed my life into it and lived the way they taught me. Like, not the way I wanted to, not the way, I just took their advice. I came to church probably every day and talked to people at this church and got guidance. And, but through all of that, the consistency of what I got was from my small group. And it just has completely changed the way I look at life, God, people, my kids, learn to forgive, let go, and just grow in Him. I mean, it's, it's amazing what I've gained. They didn't baby me. They, if it was time to be loving and supportive, they were loving and supportive. If it was time to be hard in my face and let me know what I'm doing is wrong and stupid and it's not what God would want, they would tell me. And it made me just want to pour out and give everything I could to other people. And every day that I do that, I feel so much better. The, the relationships I have with the church, my friends, I have met so many people because of being involved in my small group. Like I said, when I come to this church, by the time I hit Kid City, I've said hi or shook hands or hugged 30, 40 people from the front door. It's a huge church, but it's a small community that all works together. They have done the most amazing job. So people that think they don't need to be in small groups and they're too cool or it's too embarrassing or they don't want to open up. When you have to hold all those burdens and problems in your life and you don't share them with somebody and you don't work on them and you don't, as Brian always said, stay on the path. I mean, my life in this last year has been hell, but it's turned to the most amazing walk with God that I've ever had. And it's, it's saved my relationship with my kids because by living for him, it teaches me to be a better father. I still lose my temper, I still make mistakes, I still wanna lose my mind, but I know that I handle it differently because the way God would want. That hole that I've always had empty that I thought I could fill with drugs or drinking or sex or porn or anything, was never filled. Yes, I don't have my wife, but I have my kids, but I have God and I'll tell you that that hole's not empty at all. It's all because I took small groups seriously. There's 12, 10, eight different people in your small group and there's 12, 10, eight different lives and you can learn something from every one of them, how they follow God, how they live life, how they treat their family, how they treat people. And it, it, there's, there's no way you can't become a better person from it. There's just no way. So let me just ask you a question. Do you have friends in your life like that? People that'll hold you accountable? 
You have friends in your life, they would just track you down if you did something stupid. Anybody in your life feel empowered like that or are you just distant enough from everybody where they talk about you and they pray for you, but that's it. You know, we have a next step camp, uh, next step counter out in the out in the lobby under the stairs um, for small groups. And I, I'm telling you, if you're not, I think it is the number one vehicle for life change. And I'm going to tell you something because I've kind of shifted. I believe the best small groups are men together and women together. I'll tell you why. Because ladies, I'm going to let you know if your husband's struggling with porn, he's probably not going to he's not going to probably open up in your small group. Imagine how he'd have to listen to you all the way home. I mean, you know, he ain't going to do that. And guys, if your wife's starting to feel feelings for the tennis pro at the club, she's probably not going to mention that in front of you, right? I started a small group recently just with a bunch of guys. They're all from the gym. That's the safest I've ever felt in my life. I think they're all carrying guns all the time. You know, I, I got one guy eight or nine years in the NFL as a linebacker. He just came out of the NFL. I got another guy who's a lieutenant colonel in the major. He's quiet, but I think he'd cut your throat if you looked at him wrong because he's seen it all. Got another guy who's a chief recruiter for the Marines. Got another guy, he's six foot nine, 450 pounds. He can bench press the church. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? <laughs> but we get together in my backyard, and these are men. As they begin to open up and share what's going on in their life and how we can pray and encourage one another. Laura has one just for women she meets with on Monday night. And she comes home and she says, oh, God's just moving. And we have some incredible, honest conversations about what's going on. I believe it's the number one vehicle for life change. But you got to be honest enough with yourself to say, you know, I'm starting to slip a little bit. I need somebody to hold my feet to the fire. It'll make a difference in your life. Understand this. We all start misbehaving before we start misbelieving. So this is what I'm going to ask us to do. What, what do you say we start helping one another at the front end of the process instead of feeling sorry for one another when we finally go over the cliff and ruin our lives. Why don't we start now? Let's encourage one another. As I've said before, Christianity is personal. It's never meant to be private. Your business is my business. My business is your business. And that's the way God created it. Let's pray. Are you drifting? You know it. Are you losing interest? Is what started as such a red hot flame in your life, your relationship with God, now it's kind of a gray ember <laughs> and fading fast. That's why God put us in a body so we could encourage one another. And maybe the best thing you can do this weekend is to find a group of people who will accept you as you are, but will encourage you not to stay the way you are, but to be what Christ has created and designed you to be. Be a man, be a woman, take the step. Go to the next step counter. <laughs> and say, sign me up. Sign me up. Don't be a casualty. Don't be a casualty. And if you know somebody that's heading down that path, Now you understand the obligation that God holds us to when it comes to the relationship we have to one another. Father, I pray that you would give us 
spiritual eyes to see this the way you see it. I pray that you would give us the courage to do what we know you want us to do and give us the wisdom to know how to do it. Don't let us be content with just talking about and praying for one another. In fact, Father, I pray that you would use us in significant ways in one another's lives so that we don't become sinful, unbelieving people. Father, I know there are people thinking this right now. If, if only somebody would have done this for me when I was 16. If only someone would have been there for me like this in my life, in my 20s and 30s, or my first marriage, or my second marriage, or if somebody would just pull me aside on my third marriage and say, man, you're screwing up. How can I help you? And Father, I pray that you'll help us. You'll help us be that for this next generation of young Christians. Just show us what to do. Give us the courage to do it. And the wisdom to do it your way. And we will give you the glory for what is accomplished in your name we pray.